When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. So I don't really believe in the paranormal, but there was this one thing I can't explain. That is my all-time favorite sentence to hear. Skeptics are my favorite source of supernatural stories. The events wouldn't even be taking up real estate in their memory if the stories could be easily debunked. I know I lean heavily on the believer side in this podcast, but I am actually pretty skeptical. I've disappointed many a person who has sent me a video they thought was paranormal. Sorry. Having a healthy skepticism is important and doesn't completely diminish the magical. In fact, it can enhance it. So, for today's episode, I speak with four skeptical people, all friends of the podcast, who have had experiences that challenged their self-proclaimed title. Chapter 1. The Woman in the Church Hi, I'm Rachel, and I'm from Washington, D.C., Silver Spring, Maryland, just north of D.C., and um, I am a skeptic. I had met Rachel and her co-host Mindy of the FemLore podcast last year. Rachel is a huge fan of paranormal and supernatural stories, but consumes them completely for entertainment value. She believes there's a logical explanation for everything, which is what makes her story even that much more curious. So um, I'm a skeptic, I think, because my dad was uh, very, how do I put this nicely? (laughs) He's not very into um, religion or anything like that. My mom is a little bit more into religion, and um, she used to make us go to church every Sunday, and my dad would just never go, um, and I never understood why in Sunday school, I was learning about heaven and all these things. And I'd ask my dad and he'd be like, yeah, that doesn't, that's not real. So <laughs> he's a psychologist. So he kind of looks for reasons. He's very methodical. My mom's an art therapist. So, uh, you know, she's a little bit more spiritual. So it was kind of confusing growing up in that household, but um, really fun because I got her exposure to both kinds of ways of thinking. As I was growing up, my parents didn't have a lot of money. Uh, My dad was going through school almost my entire life. He didn't get his PhD until I was 13. But my parents always made it feel like we were super rich. You know, we always did really fun things that maybe didn't cost a lot of money. I've never been to Disneyland, but (laughs) I didn't miss it growing up. So it it was a really great childhood. It's me, my twin sister, Lauren, and then my brother, Chris. And instead of going on these... Disneyland trips or things like that, my parents would just take us down Route 1 and we'd just stop at cemeteries. 
We'd walk around, look at the gravestones, and we'd try to read the dates and the names and try to just learn a little bit about the area. And this is like places that nobody ever goes to. So one time I was about 14 and I had just gotten a camcorder. And for those of you who are (laughs) maybe a little bit younger, (laughs) this was like a really big deal for me at 14. Getting a camcorder was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm allowed to use this. And my, like I mentioned, my parents weren't very wealthy. So it took a lot for them to get that for me. And it was just like a big, big deal. So as we're driving down the highway, I thought I would take my camcorder with me so that we could actually document this church. And it was just this little white church. I mean, it had one room and it was a Saturday. It was a weekend. And so we pulled over and we noticed that behind the church, there was a graveyard. So it was perfect, right? We had been doing this my whole life. Made sense. So we all got out and we all piled out of the car, the five of us, and uh, we started to walk around the graveyard. And then my sister and I decided to go near the church because we hadn't really gotten a look in the church. And the church window was actually kind of high for us. Um, I'm pretty tall. I think I said 14, I might've been like 5'5". But even then, the window was like at my head, basically. So you couldn't really like look in. We have to hop up to do it. So. I got my camcorder ready. I was already recording, you know, we were just laughing and joking. And my twin sister and I decided we would hop up and see if we could see into the church. So we got ready and we hopped up into the window and I could only see for a second, right? Because I couldn't get my bearing on the sill itself. So I kind of hopped back down and I I readjusted and I, I popped back up. And initially when I had hopped up, I saw nothing. It was just an empty church, you know. And I hopped back up and I was able to hold myself with a camcorder pointed into the church. And my sister had gone silent. We were joking and she wasn't saying anything. And I looked to where she was looking, which is a little bit off to the left. And there was somebody in the church. And it looked like a woman, a woman in a white dress. And she kept walking down the aisle, the center of the church. And by walk, it wasn't really a walk. It was like a glide. It was really creepy and my sister like I I didn't hear anything from her and I wasn't looking in her direction I was just like captivated by this thing moving down the aisle and um, I was in the middle window my sister was at the far window so it was coming from the left my sister was on the right of me and as it got to my window it turned to me and it had no face and I dropped and started screaming You know, I just remember her not having any features and it looking black. I I just thought she was a person. And then when she looked at me, it was like, oh no, that's not a person. And I had gotten it on camera. So I was like, I was freaking out. My sister was freaking out. We had seen the same thing. And again, we're twins, so who knows? But I was like near tears. My parents were like, what's going on? What's the matter? What happened? And we were like, "I, I saw something I can't explain. I don't know what's going on. My mom, you know, she's like looking in the, she's a little taller than me, so she was kind of like trying to get up there, look in. My brother, of course, was giving us all kinds of crap because he's my brother. He's like, you're just crazy, like nothing happened. But again, I remember that I had the footage, so I was like, okay, well, I can just see, right? I can just see if this is real. And, you know, I probably was just scared or I had thought about like a historical figure. I don't know, something, you know, I was trying to rationalize all this and so I, I played the tape back, which, by the way, very exciting that a camcorder could have a playback like on. It had like this flip out, <laughs> flip out screen where you could actually see the video. Um, and I rewinded it and I got to where I was hopping up onto the sill and then the, it just cuts out. There's no footage. 
It wasn't even black. It was like the, the footage that you get with a TV when like a TV goes. It was just like completely off. And like nothing was on it. It was so weird. Um, and I know that I had recorded that footage. My brother and my dad both thought like, okay, the camera, like something happened to the camera. You probably hit it or something, maybe when you were trying to get up on the ledge and it just didn't happen. The weird thing was that it did catch the footage of me hopping up, right? It just like when I, when it was pointing toward the window, there was no footage. And my mom, obviously she was more apt to believe me and my sister. And she, she was like, well, we can't explain it. That's just something you can't explain. And, you know, I'm like bawling and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to, what to think. I don't know what to do. I mean, I was so scared. I couldn't move. Well, I'm skeptic. I'm a skeptical person. So I actually think maybe, you know, I had just seen too many graveyards and I read some scary stories and it kind of just came up. I guess it doesn't really help with the footage or my sister also seeing it. But I guess since we're twins, maybe there's something there. I don't know. I noticed that Rachel kept posing that maybe the sighting had to do with her and her sister being twins. I had heard that twins have an inexplicable bond. I asked Rachel to elaborate. We used to, in when we were in elementary school, they would keep us in different classrooms. And one day we decided to switch. And then there was something in, in my class that my sister was in um, that only I could answer. So she asked to go to the bathroom and I just had to go to the bathroom for some reason. I didn't, obviously, I didn't have to go to the bathroom, but I just felt like I needed to be there. And I get to the bathroom and there's like a couple bathrooms in the whole school. I get to that one bathroom and there she is. And she's like, we got to switch back. So stuff like that happened a lot where like you just know and I can tell when I need to call her. Weird things like that where I just need to talk to her and I know something's wrong. How do you explain that to yourself? Because I view that as supernatural. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think, you know, twins are genetically the same person. So I, I think like there's so much more about genetics that we don't know and like how it actually impacts who we are. So I'm inclined to believe that it has something to do with, like, you know, you have those twins that get separated and they marry like the same, same woman named or like they do the same thing or, you know, and I think that points to like that it's not all environment. Some of it is obviously genetic and your personality might be more linked to genetics than you think. So that's kind of how I justify that. Not sure that that's correct, but I guess that doesn't explain how I would know that I needed to go to the bathroom at that time or that I need to call her. I don't know. We just have this very real connection. You know, I don't know how to explain it. I can't. So you're right, Sapphire. You got me. (laughs) You got me. I don't know how to explain that. That one happens way too often. You're right. (laughs) I highly recommend checking out Rachel's podcast, Femlore, where she and her co-host Mindy discuss how the stories we tell influence today's culture and how we view women. Rachel and Mindy are both intelligent and charming women with incredible insight to offer. Find the links in the show notes. Chapter 2. The Celebratory Skeptic. Hi, my name is Kristen. I'm from New Jersey. My name is Will Rogers. I am also from New Jersey. I was connected to Kristen and Will through other fellow podcasters. God, I love this community. And we co-host a podcast called Guides the Unknown that's about the paranormal and supernatural from kind of a lighthearted perspective. Yeah, we're a brother and sister team. We've been doing the show together now for several years. Mm -hmm. We've been podcasting together. But also, obviously, Kristen and I grew up together. And um, 
we've kind of always had an interest in the supernatural. It's been something that's been part of our lives as a form of entertainment. We always watched kind of scary movies, read scary books. And I think as we got older, it turned a little bit into an interest in what might actually be going on as well. Yeah, I think, especially as a kid, it didn't really occur to me to ask real questions about how does the horror that I'm interested in as entertainment intersect with my life or my beliefs? Mm -hmm. But uh, especially through doing Guide to the Unknown, I've thought about it more and more. And uh, most of what I do is try to get a handle on what I actually do believe. Yeah. When we were young, we grew up in a town called Redding in Connecticut. It was in the middle of nowhere. We grew up essentially in the woods. And I don't know how this rumor started, but we began referring to our next door neighbor as a witch. Mm -hmm. And Kristen somehow, do you even know how, devised the test? Yes, I devised the test to find out whether she was a witch or not. It was luckily much less hardcore than many of the tests for witches that you hear about, especially in New England. But I took a troll doll from my room and there was a patch of grass that faced her house that had a big flat stone almost embedded in the ground. It was all kind of flush. And I took the troll doll and I pointed it at her house. And my test was that if I woke up in the morning and the troll doll was knocked over, then the woman next door was a witch. I believe it was knocked over when I woke up in the morning, which only strengthened my belief that this woman next door was a witch. Oh, turns out definitely a witch. Definitely, without a doubt. I don't know how I came up with that test, <laughs> but I guess I was like, well, troll dolls are some sort of creature, <laughs> and so maybe they can help me out with this. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's really taken it to a, a wild That's- extreme. I thought this anecdote was incredibly cute. Kids do weird stuff like this all the time. It usually gets written off as a wild imagination, but I wondered if Kristen was onto something. What if this witch test was an indication of her highly developed intuition? So I asked if she'd had any supernatural experiences. So Will and I went to a seance at a paranormal bookshop a few months ago. And during the course of the seance, the medium who was conducting it said that if at any point anybody who's sitting around the table feels like they've picked up on anything, to shout that out. And what she meant by that, she explained, is that if you have a thought or even a picture or anything come into your head that seems kind of out of place and you just have this inclination that it's not just one of those random thoughts we have all during the day, that it might have a little bit more significance, to go ahead and say that because maybe it might have some significance to somebody sitting around the table. So during the course of the seance, I had this thought of little red shoes, like small red shoes. And I don't know how to explain it more than that. It was visual. It was the idea of them. And at first I kind of tested it and I was like, all right, things pop in your head all the time. Don't shout it out right away. But I did have this kind of persistent niggling at the back of my mind that was like, maybe you should say that. So I did. And when I did, the medium who was conducting it was kind of like, does that resonate for anybody? And nobody said anything. She was like, uh, okay, well, uh, and she looked behind her at the woman who works with her who's sitting there too. And they had kind of a look of recognition. And she was like, um, uh, come talk to me afterward about that. And I was like, okay. So I was sitting there like, what the hell is this going to be? So when the seance was all over, 
I went with her into kind of a separate little nook area. And she told me, paraphrasing obviously, that at the paranormal bookshop, they also kind of treat it as a paranormal museum and people donate objects to the museum that they think might be haunted. And she said that they had recently received in the mail a doll. And you think, you know, haunted doll creepy thing. We have associations with that. Like the doll itself is going to be animated or something. But she said that the note that came with the doll said that the doll itself wasn't haunted, but that the red shoes that it was wearing were. And she said that they hadn't really looked into it much further yet and nothing had happened with it, but that they had just received the doll that week. And so me picking up on the idea of red shoes made her a little bit more inclined to think that maybe there is something up with it so that they were going to be investigating it a little bit further because of that. It was so satisfying. I'm not going to lie. I I was sitting there like, should I say this? This is crazy. And maybe I'm giving myself too much import by thinking that I got a psychic newsflash. So when it actually was something, I was like, yes, number one, I'm not a narcissist. Number two, maybe I picked up on a little something. Almost every time I've had any kind of experience that seems like you could point to it as some sort of evidence or proof. I think it's really, really cool. But at the same time, I have a little bit of disconnect from it. It just seems so surreal and like, how could this be? That it's hard for me to get really grounded in that and be like, yep, I picked up on something, that's fact, and that's what it is. And I actually think that's kind of okay. I think there's almost always gonna be some inherent mystery to this stuff, even if we find proof, quote unquote. And it could be a coincidence. It doesn't seem that coincidental, but maybe it is. So I've kind of just carried it with me as something really cool when I think about it I like love it but I don't know what it really means in a broader sense earlier in the conversation Will had actually mentioned that they had been joking that Will should see a psychic so one night he went to two to cross-examine the results naturally and they had both told him that he was a psychic and that his visions come to him in his dreams So I asked Will if he'd had any supernatural experiences of his own. Absolutely not. Um, (laughs) I came up with a term for what I believe recently. Um, I called myself a celebratory skeptic. Uh, By which I mean, I love all of this stuff, but I have a very hard time allowing myself to believe. What Kristen was just saying about there always being room for doubt that is primarily the space that I occupy with all of this. Yeah. I love it all. I want it to be real. I really brutally want it all to be real. I have had, in recent years, I, I never was this person, but um, uh, several years ago, Kristen and I and our family had a really uh, sort of traumatic year. Um, our father was taken to the hospital with a multitude of health issues, In the midst of all that, while we were worried about him and trying to make sure he was okay, our oldest sister, Karen, was killed by a drunk driver. Two months later, our dad passed away as well. And ever since then, not that I should be that shocked, I feel like it changed me. And all of a sudden, I have this spiritualism that I reflexively engage with. If I'm walking my dog around at two in the morning, all of a sudden, I'll just be overcome with the feeling of like, hey, maybe 
dad and Karen are watching me right now or can see me or, you know, I miss them. Maybe they miss me. And I will say out loud, like, hey, guys, it's all good. I love you. Hope you're doing well. And I've never been that person. Never thought I would be that person. And now, given that, like, I went to these two psychics and they've told me that, like, things that happen in my dreams are real, like, I can, I constantly dream about them. And again, wouldn't I anyway? But even still, I can't help but let that little bit in of like, well, maybe I am in a way communicating with them. I'm at the very least communicating with my memory of them, which in some ways is just as good. When I'm dreaming of my relatives who have like passed away, most of them are in the form of, uh, hey, what are you doing here? You're oh, where have you been? It's almost as if it's my dad or my my sister Karen were like on vacation and have come home early. And the remainder of the dream is typically completely mundane. It is the same as if I was actually sitting in the room with them and we were watching TV. It can be that not special. But in a way, that's that's exceedingly special to me. I know. I also wonder if that almost makes it more special in a way because it's a little bit more real. The dream isn't so fantastical that you can completely disregard it as just dream nuttiness. It's a little bit more grounded than if you guys were flying around in the clouds together. Absolutely. It feels a lot like just getting to hang out with them again. Ugh, I'm so jealous of this. I like never dream about them. Do you not have that? No, I've just, I'm genuinely jealous of it. <laughs> part of this is that I've assumed that everybody on the planet, like granted, you know, what I just described about the, the horrible things that happened to us a few years mm-hmm. ago, like that everybody goes through at least a version of that. Mm-hmm. Everybody. I didn't have any significant paranormal experiences until after my grandpa passed. And I often wonder if a part of it is just me wanting to believe that these things happening are signs that he's here. But if a ghost is the imprint of what was once alive, then the imprints that exist in our memories are, in a way, pretty real. If you enjoy lighthearted and funny discussions about paranormal pop culture, definitely check out Kristen and Will's podcast, Guide to the Unknown. Their sibling chemistry is truly a joy to listen to, and you'll feel like you're hanging out with dear spooky friends, which everyone could use a little more of nowadays. Links are in the show notes. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Chapter 3. I can't believe I saw a ghost. I'm Jim Perry. I'm from the hinterlands of the northwest of America, uh, from Seattle, Washington, and I produce the show Euphemet. You may remember Jim from Season 1, Episode 8, where he shared his insight on the spiritual things we inherit from our family and our growing disconnect with the spiritual world. There was a whole other section of that interview that I didn't include in that episode, where Jim talks about the time he saw a ghost and how difficult it was for him to admit it. I'll let Jim take it from here. So an important part of the Euphemet podcast is their personal features that I go and do face-to-face with individuals. And so the show sees me traveling to some pretty weird and woolly and wild locations. And one year I found myself in West Virginia a lot. And of course, West Virginia is known for being the birthplace of Mothman and uh, the Mothman Chronicles and all of John Keel's work. It's also known for a lot of UFO activity and Sasquatch. And it's just, in general, just a very strange place. I was there to uh, feature a man who had developed this relationship as a child to, for lack of better words, perhaps an imaginary friend, but but maybe something more, something much more like a spirit guide. And from early on, growing up in this very conservative coal mining community, uh, he received a lot of negativity towards what he was experiencing. And this uh, spirit guide was able to teach him all these things about nature and even the universe that then later he was able to go back and sort of confirm for himself. You know, once this uh, this this figure in his life uh, disappeared. He was left very much with this sort of wandering soul aspect. He was like really trying to figure out who he was because he didn't have that guidance anymore. And through the conversation, uh, started to reveal himself as maybe a reluctant medium, perhaps. So we were on the second floor of his family's purchased old hotel, which was at one time a brothel, was a saloon. You know, these uh, you know rugged coal miners would go in there for libations and everything else uh, since the almost the turn of the century. I was there with Greg Newkirk. He had brought me out there. He had had a conversation with uh, with this guest, and uh, it was my turn to kind of get his tour around this property where, to him, he was receiving all of this strange ghost-like activity. So he took us through the darkest halls I've ever experienced in my life, through these drafty, narrow, plank-ridden halls, and would point out things that he experienced in the past from room to room. He led us into a bathroom where the empty bathtub at one time revealed to him completely full of blood and with uh, 
an emotional mother and a dead baby. These were the kind of things that were expressing themselves to him and that would not just appear in his mind's eye, but very terrestrially to him, as if they were right in front of his face. So as we continued down the hallways, he started to have an experience right there in front of us, seemingly with a ghost-like entity. And at first, this experience presented itself to Greg and I as him sweating much more and talking faster and reacting very physically to something in the space with us. Upon calming him down and asking some very pointed questions, we discovered that it was because we were being followed. And he wasn't quite sure how he wanted to tell this to us. So here we are in a pitch black room on the other side of this abandoned hotel. The draft is coming in, the moonlight is beaming, and this man has us in a corner telling us that, oh, there's someone behind me right now, and he's very angry. So we go out into the hallway again. I start to sort of consider, well, should we navigate towards this soul light that exists in this building right now, which was a single lamp in the middle of the atrium on this second floor. And the man we are featuring, Wes, is still completely upset, and he becomes even more agitated as he begins to converse with this angry man. And at this point, Wes can see him. And Wes is describing his features. You know, six feet tall. He looks like an old cowboy. Uh, He's got broad shoulders. He's very angry with us. He keeps asking, why, why, why is the hotel so dirty? Why is it, why is it messed up? What, what are you, what are you going to do about it? Demanding answers from Wes. Uh, this spirit, according to Wes, was walking up and down the halls. It would walk down the hall away from us and then sternly walk closer to us. Uh, at that point in time, this spirit would keep navigating itself into the room that we had left. He described it as like sort of on a loop, a strange reel, as if this entity at this point had nowhere else to go but continue to repeat itself over and over again. And we were just, you know, sort of reluctant participants in whatever this act was that this potential spirit was engaged with. So the conversation as it moved along, I was able to navigate folks back towards the light. Since I'm not in the business of trying to debunk anything or put out a meter or, you know, do any ghost hunting here, uh, what was really important for me was to figure out how this was affecting Wes. So over by the lamp, the hallway is behind Wes's shoulder as I ask him to sort of describe how this makes him feel. As he started to detail this, in the hallway from the room that we had just exited was the bust of a six-foot-tall man, translucent, with a little bit of a glow or a sheen. Something out of a classical illustrative novel. It was a bust of a translucent specter standing over the shoulder of Wes, looking at me. This happened for a few seconds. I didn't interrupt anyone. And then almost as soon as it appeared, 
the figure disappeared back into the room with the same pattern of movement and descriptions as what Wes was detailing to Greg and I earlier. And I didn't know what to do about it. I definitely let Wes finish, and I wrapped up the interview at that point. And we made not a hasty exit from this abandoned hotel and this rural hauler in West Virginia, but a pretty quick and uh, unceremonial exit from this space. And Greg and I had a long car ride, and I didn't tell him the entire time. I was uh, afraid to look my friend in the eyes. A man who, you know, is known for incredible web series about challenging synchronicities and having interactions with alleged creatures and has a haunted museum, for Christ's sakes, with a statue that potentially chats with him. Uh, I couldn't look this guy in the face and tell him that I saw a ghost. I think, A, I probably felt like what I saw didn't have value. And if I presented it and felt like it didn't have value, that it wouldn't be validated. And then I'd feel like, will he think I'm just making this up to fit in with what he's seen? You know, when you do this for a living, you ride that fine line of having to be, you know, one foot in, one foot out. There, There is an insecurity about the level of experiences one has had in relationship to someone that is their peer. You know, why are you seeing all this stuff and I'm not seeing Jack? Or like, oh, well, you saw that. This is like, whatever. I saw like Bigfoot flying a dragon. You know what I mean? Or whatever. It's just you open yourself up to a different source of judgment. And that's that the experience that was incredibly profound to you is nothing. And get over yourself. <laughs> I completely understand this feeling. A little while ago, I was interviewing someone for this podcast via Zoom, and something possibly paranormal happened during the call. Since I had recorded the incident, I thought it would be fun to post it on social media and see what people thought. But before I did, I hesitated. I wondered if people would call me a fraud. I was, after all, wearing a shirt that read in big letters, ghost hunting, and I was recording my paranormal podcast. But I knew we didn't stage it, so I said screw it, and I ended up posting it. And it went pretty viral on TikTok. And the comment section was exactly what you'd expect. Half the people thinking it was pretty cool, the other half not even reacting to the right thing or claiming nothing even happened in the video. I don't check the comments anymore because it's a waste of time. But what really bothered me were the comments that implied that because I am so involved in the paranormal, it couldn't possibly be real. A suspicion I truly understand, considering the number of frauds out there. But I can't think of any other profession where your passion for a subject would make you less reliable. I kept in myself for for months. I didn't tell anybody this. And as someone that now like sort of makes a living on sharing not just other people's experiences but being on other people's podcasts and sharing my experiences i was ridden with guilt and shame and even as i'm talking about this now i still feel incredibly self-conscious doing it and extremely extremely vulnerable 
saying that I saw a ghost. Skeptical side of it, could it had been a reflection? Could it have been uh, a glint of uh, shine in my eye from the moonlight? Or who knows? I mean, maybe, perhaps. But all I can detail is what I saw with my own two eyes. And that's what I saw. What it did do is it made me really appreciate what my guests on Euphemet are going through. It gave me an opportunity to really feel and empathize with what these people who are so vulnerable and open with me are most likely going through. And even broader, what most people who experience the paranormal are probably feeling like and going through. They would more soon forget that they've had an experience that is anomalous and unexplained than ever try to share it with someone else or go through it. I've been battling with this notion lately of belief and what it all means. I used to be asked on podcasts all the time when I was a guest, well, what do you believe in? Or do you believe in this? And I would typically say, well, I don't know what I believe in, uh, but even that is in question. And I think that still holds true. But the problem with that is that you don't take into consideration the context of your experiences that are laid out and forth. It's a cop-out on my part, and I understand that. And I do that a lot to just try to be a reputable narrator and host. Just like the most staunch journalist who doesn't want to share his political candidate that he's going to vote for. I feel a certain responsibility in the same way that even if I'm not trying to find the truth about do extraterrestrials exist and did Roswell happen, the least I can do is remove sort of as much of my judgment from it as possible to respect the sophistication and the intuition of the listeners to make their own decision. We have a lot of people always telling us that someone else needs to tell us the answer to things. I don't think that's right. And this happens extremely often in the paranormal. People are always like, tell me the answer, expert. Give me your take on it. And I don't think any of it matters. If anything, the paranormal is perhaps a reminder to get out of our own way and just feel a little bit. Just let yourself feel. It wasn't for months until I finally decided to do a Euphemet episode about it. And then I include a phone call with Greg where I finally admit to him. You know, I say, yeah, I kind of, I've got like kind of an admission here. I've got like something to say. And he was like, what does this mean? <laughs> and I tell him and he made me feel at ease. And he approached me with an open heart. And he made me as a friend and as a person feel not alone. And at that point in time, it taught me so much about how I want to continue trying to do the same for other people. And I still can't believe that I saw a ghost. Jim's podcast, Euphemet, is a wonderfully produced documentary series about the unknown and our relationship to it. If you enjoy your paranormal content with empathy and introspection, this is the show for you. Links are in the show notes. After speaking with Rachel, Kristen, Will, and Jim, I think being skeptical and being a believer are not as mutually exclusive as I once thought. It seems important for both sides to have a little bit of the other. 
I'm a self-proclaimed believer, but if I accepted everything presented to me as paranormal, then it sort of loses its magic. A story becomes even more profound and mysterious when everything logical has been ruled out. So wherever you fall on the non-believer to believer spectrum, see if there's anything you can gain from incorporating the other side into your life. You just might surprise yourself. Thank you for joining me today. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks, like live watch parties or private tarot readings. And don't forget to subscribe to youtube.com slash Sapphire Sindalo, where I post an animated spooky story every other week. If you'd like to submit a story, send it to storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. Special thanks to Rachel Marr, Kristen Anderson, Will Rogers, and Jim Perry. For more information on this episode and my guests, visit storieswithsapphire.com. <laughs> <laughs>